been learning a lot about faith through our series in the Old Testament. If I had to say in a sentence what we're going to learn about faith this morning, it would be this. By faith, God will use you to accomplish things you never dreamed possible. Let me say that again. By faith, God will use you to accomplish things you never dreamed possible. We wonder what does faith look like lived out in the lives of real people. And the way we get an answer to that is we look at examples given in the Bible, examples also given in real life. Are you encouraged by Pastor Christie, who we met, who went out over the other side of the world to Brajov, Romania, who is working hard right now to plant a brand new church in his city? I'm encouraged by that. Do you know he's had three vision meetings already, and there's about 30 or 35 people who are thinking about making this church their, their new thing? There isn't even a church yet, and they're just like, well, maybe we should help bring this church to Romania. I'm blessed by his faith. Are you blessed by Pastor Bobby Greenwood's faith down in Arkansas, Fayetteville, Arkansas? Do you know he has his first vision meeting tonight? He hasn't even had a first thing yet. All he has is like himself and a few emails he got from people who maybe are coming tonight. That's all he's got. Uh, but he's got us praying for him too, right? Amen? Amen? Tonight, it starts tonight. Uh, and when I see his faith to, to go out and to start this church, and uh, wow, we see faith through examples in real life. We also learn in Hebrews chapter 11, as we've been going name after name after name, what faith looks like. And you don't need to turn there, but here in verses 33 to 34 is where we've gotten to. It says, these people who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. This is what faith looks like in the lives of real people. But, okay, okay, I see faith in Bobby and Christy's life. I'm not going to go to Romania and start a church. I, I see faith in, in Joshua's life, in Gideon's life. But then the question is, what does faith look like, right, in my life? And this morning we'll see that by faith, God will use you to accomplish things you never dreamed possible. But how? Well, let's pray and then we'll get into the Word. Lord, we're grateful that you've given us more than just a definition of faith in the Scripture. Uh, we're grateful that you've given us more than just the, the theology of what faith is, where it comes from, how important it is. You show us real people who are walking by faith. We learn so much from their example. They're human, they're normal, they're sinful, they're fearful, just like us. Give us guidance this morning, Lord. May your word be a lamp for our feet, a light for our paths as we seek to walk by faith in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Open your Bibles to Judges chapter 4. Judges chapter 4. Last week we talked about Gideon, the cowardly hero. This week there's another cowardly hero, but there's a few other characters we're going to learn from. In Judges chapter 4, we actually are going back in time a little bit. Gideon hasn't happened yet, but for some reason the author in Hebrews decides to skip back. Uh, so now we're going before Gideon's time. But same era of Old Testament history. The Israelites are still doing what they've been doing. So this is after Moses, after Joshua, right? But it's before David, it's before all the prophets. That's where we're at in Bible history. 
Check out chapter 4, verse 1. It says, And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. So their deliverer died, and Couple hundred, this is like a couple hundred years after Joshua's time, and there's a cycle in Judges, and it goes like this. Deliverance, sin, crisis, cry for help, deliverance. And guess what comes next? Sin. Again and again, each generation has to wake up to their need for the Lord. And, and here again, they again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. The Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Herosheth, Hagoyim. Then the people of Israel, get this, cried out to the Lord for help. For he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. First lesson of faith, jot this down. Faith cries out for help. What does it look like? What does it act like in real time? In the lives of real people? Hey, faith cries out for help. And Israel here wandering from God again, they teach us what happens when we go on the road without God. They teach us what happens when we have to learn the hard way. Hey, has God been forced to teach you certain things the hard way? Because He's had to teach me some things the hard way. I've heard it said that there's God's plan A is humility and God's plan B is humiliation. Okay, now I like plan A, but sometimes I've tried plan B. I don't like plan B. Israel here is learning things the hard way. Some people, they learn the hard way. I I heard recently about a 49-year-old woman who was driving from South Dakota to Wisconsin to try and see her granddaughter's dance recital. And on the way, she got pulled over four times in the same trip. First, she got pulled over driving 112 miles an hour, weaving in and out of traffic in Minnesota. Did that slow her down? A little. 20 minutes later, she was pulled over going 99 miles an hour in Minnesota. Then she got pulled over a third time going 88 miles an hour, and a fourth time going 88 miles an hour. And guess what? She didn't even make it to the recital because she had to learn things the what? Say it louder. The what? That's what Israel had to do in If we're honest, that's what we have to do sometimes, am I right? Sometimes God has to teach us things the hard way. And here the misery that was being piled on top of God's people was because they chose to wander. They chose to learn the hard way. What what was causing the pain, what was making life so miserable, well, this guy named Jabin, who's a king, he lived in a land called Hazor. Now, they've got major problems with Israel. You see, 200 years before this, Joshua crushed Hazor in battle and killed their king. They were like, they had an army the size of the sand of the seashore, and, and they were the main city in the region there. So when Joshua came to town and crushed them, it uh, hurt international relations between the two groups. <laughs> uh, so now they're ticked because they used to be the head city, and, and they're trying to make a comeback. Um, And it's going all right. For 20 years, they've had the Israelites under their thumb. You'll do what I say, when I say, and life was miserable. How bad were things? Well, the words used here to describe the condition of the Israelites were the word oppressed, which means squeezed or pressed down upon. They were oppressed. Check this out. This picture just says it all. That's that's pressured. 
That's, that's a guy who's trying to break the world record for the amount of weight he could have pressing down upon him before he cries out for the pain to stop. The guy's name is Attila. He looks tough, doesn't he? Doesn't he? Let's see, what I see here is I see Israel. Come on, I can take more than that. No, I'm not going to cry out yet. And then finally, all right, I'm sorry. Maybe that's you. God is pressing down upon you. And Have you cried out yet? 20 years went by. 20 years and they finally cried out to the Lord. These were stubborn people. The word cruelly is also used. He oppressed them cruelly, which means severely or forcefully or violently. There were 900 chariots, which is a massive and unbeatable army. The Israelites were ungunned. They didn't have a, outgunned. I mean, they didn't have a trained army. They, they didn't really even have weapons. They kind of had like, like baseball bats and broomsticks, you know. And, and what hope did they have of overthrowing this problem? The, the faith lesson is this. You have to understand God brought this oppression into their lives. Why? Faith lesson. This is not original to me, but it's true. Choose to sin, choose to suffer. This is true for every child of God. Choose to sin, choose to suffer. And God's the one who's going to be pushing down upon you until you repent, until you give up the way, until you come back to Him. And, and I think of our college students, I think of our high school students. Hey, listen. Hey, listen up, college students and high school students. Hey, you're a new generation. Just like the Israelites. They didn't know Moses. They didn't know Joshua. They didn't know, they didn't know these people. And they chose to wander off and to learn the hard way who God was. And maybe that's you. Maybe you're having a wake-up call recently. Maybe you just feel like, why is life so miserable? Well, maybe you've wandered off from the Lord. He's now pressing down upon you to show you the misery of sin. So that you can learn firsthand the lessons that your parents tried to teach you. Are you going to cry out for help? Israel finally cried out for help. And you have to learn it. Hey, it doesn't matter how long you've strayed. It doesn't matter how sinful you've gotten. When you cry out for help, guess what? God's not like, oh yeah, like I'm going to come now. Yeah, you missed your chant. God, He comes. He wants to deliver you. But faith cries out. For help. The truth is, this is the story, this is the beginning of a faith story. And something you'll learn in life, something I've learned in life is this. Your greatest faith stories will begin in your moments of greatest desperation. See, when you hit the wall and the misery and the weight is too much, it, hey, you're like, this is like despair. And, and, and that's the start of a great faith story. That's the start of a faith story here. Faith cries out for help. And then, what, what's God going to do when, when we finally cry out for help? We've waited too long. We finally cry out. What's God going to do? Well, let's read on. Look at verse 4. In verse 4, it says, Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth. Lapidoth. She married a guy named Lapidoth. <laughs> he got a baby on the way. Need a name? Something new, cutting edge. Lapidoth. Call him Lappy. Lapidoth. Uh, Deborah was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. The people of Israel came up to her for judgment. She sent, okay, so Deborah is our role model here of faith, the first one. Faith cries out for help. We see that in the Israelites. And now in Deborah's life, jot this down, faith serves God consistently. Faith serves God consistently. 
If God is going to use you to do things you would never think possible, there's going to be a crisis of faith. Maybe in your life, maybe in somebody else's life. Then God is going to use those who are making themselves available to Him to do His work. And Deborah is one of those people. She's making herself available to be used by the Lord. And faith serves God consistently. How was she used by God? Well, it says she was a prophetess. What does that mean? Well, this is a religious influence. She was tuned into God's Spirit and she was gifted in a special way. The gift of prophecy exists in the Old and the New Testament. It basically means this. It means to speak under the direct spiritual influence of God. It's a definition. I'll give it to you again. Prophecy is to speak under the direct spiritual influence of God. There's many brands of this gift, and it's shared in many different formats, so it can be a very confusing thing to understand. But there was more of a common fare of prophecy where God would just say some things through people. All right? And then there was more of a special brand of prophecy where this is the gift that gave us the Bible, and God would use this gift through apostles or prophets to actually write out books of the Bible. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Deborah was exercising the more lay, usual, normative gift of prophecy. God was using her to say some things to people. She was a prophetess. She was also a wife. So her fame and her power didn't prevent her from being a wife and tending to her home. She was also a judge. So she had a formal position. She would decide disputes. And uh, judge didn't just mean like the way you think of a judge. It means more of a governor, too. So she had some regional sway in the nation. Um, she would decide disputes, and they could be legal, they could be relational, but if you had a problem, it wasn't like you could, you know, they didn't really have courthouses or anything yet, they're a new nation, so you'd just, let's go to Deborah, let's figure this out. And Deborah's a role model to us. Hey, is your life sometimes hard to balance? Hey, sometimes do you feel like there's not enough time in the day to get it all done? Sometimes do you feel like if there's just one more thing added to your plate, you're going to blow a gasket and go to the loony bin, the funny farm? Do you feel sometimes like, you know, those, those jugglers where you're just juggling, and then one more ball, you, and then one more, or those, uh, those performers who have the plates on the, on the sticks, right? And they just got to keep spinning the plates, spinning the plates, spinning, and then a plate falls, and uh-oh, too many plates. Maybe you feel that way. Uh, and maybe because of your busy life, you conclude that there's just no time to make yourself available to the Lord's work. See, but Deborah comes along now, and she gives us a model, an example of what it means to have a tremendous position of power, a job demanding a lot of her, a family, um, and yet still being available to the Lord. She's a role model to us as she balances her, uh, her busy life. And, and I think as we try and balance things, we can tell ourselves, it's just not possible. Um, and you might say, well, back then life was just a lot easier, right? I mean, like, of course she would have time for that, but in our day, and it, all right, well, let's, let's think about that. I think Deborah's life is extra impressive because, first of all, if you wanted food, you had to make it from scratch. Right? There was no drive-thru. There was no chicken nuggets. There was no microwave. Okay? You wanted coffee, there was no Keurig. You had to go out and pick the beans and then come back in and get the process started. Uh, you want clothes? There wasn't coals. There's no justice. You want clothes? You got a, you got a needle and thread. Okay? Get going. You want water? It's not going to come to you. You got to go to it. For every jug. So, I wouldn't say life was a lot easier back then and a lot more simple. Okay, I would say life was a lot more demanding back then. 
which makes it all the more impressive that she served God consistently and she made herself available. You see, this is a a truth we have to face. There are people crying out for help. There are people who God wants us to reach. He wants to do things through you that you could never even possibly imagine, particularly in the lives of others. But if we don't make ourselves available, we won't have those stories of faith. This is a New Testament truth as well. Jesus, you know the famous verse, right? Matthew 25, 23. Well done, good and... What does it say? Well done, good and... But you know what comes next? He says this. He says, you have been faithful over a little. What's the first thing he... Well done, good and faithful servant! First thing I noticed, you've been faithful over this. Therefore, what does he say next? He says, therefore, I will set you over much. So the small things come up first in our grand evaluation. And if we're consistently making ourselves available for the small things, then when it's time for something big to happen, God will involve you in it. Second uh, Chronicles 16.9, right? The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to who? Those whose hearts are blameless before Him. He'll see if you're set apart for Him. He'll see if you want to be fit for His use. Um, he notices This is a New Testament truth too. Faith cries out for help. There's all these problems and then faith, God looks to those who are serving Him faithfully and then He puts them to work and ask yourself, are you making yourself available to God? You can fill this in. Every believer should work for Christ. Every believer should work for Christ. We're called to it in the New Testament. And why? Well, jot this down because God's Spirit resides in you. God's Spirit resides in you. You may not have a flashy gift like prophecy or like miracles or like healing or something like Deborah had a pretty cool gift you may not have a gift like that but the every believer gets a spiritual gift at least one you are divinely empowered to serve him in a unique way and and here's the next point you can fill this in about spiritual gifts you have spiritual gifts in order to serve others every spiritual gift on the list wires you in a special, unique way to make a difference in the lives of other people. No spiritual gift is about you. Every spiritual gift is about honoring the Lord and and blessing other people. And this is a profound truth. Listen, I want you to hear this. Okay, If, if you want the Lord to be present in your life, if you want to feel like He's right there, you want to know He's walking you through the trials, if you... Spiritual gifts are the main way God makes His presence known to the world, and to the church. Do you get that? Do you know that when God wants you to feel like He's right there with you, He's surrounding you, He's pre- do you know what He's going to do? He's going to use other people who are exercising their spiritual gifts in your heart. Okay, and this makes, makes it so sad when people start going through trials and they subtract themselves from the family of God. Oh, I can't, I just can't even get out to church. I, I can't get to small group. How's God going to make His presence known to you when you won't allow the church to surround you with the presence of the Lord? He's not going to walk out of your closet one night and be like, I'm here! Uh, He's going to use spiritual gifts of others. How's He going to reach the world? How's He going to reach the world? He's going to raise up the preachers. He's going to raise up the missionaries. And they're going to go and they're going to speak. And they're going to, right? What if they don't? How can they hear if The Bible leaves that open. We have to go. We have to tell. We have to share. And those are spiritual gifts being exercised. 
The third sub-point here is the opportunities are numerous. The opportunities are numerous. God wants to use you to manifest His presence in special ways to the church and to the world, and the opportunities are numerous. Uh, Check out in your bulletin, we put a chart in there about where you can work for Christ at Harvest Palace. There's a whole list of all the different ministries. It looks like this. Go ahead and find it. There's a list of all the different ministries where you can make yourself available to be used by God. And some of these are lower demand, lower demand like parking or children's check-in or um, some of them like ushers, you can even be in the service. Some of them are higher demand. If you're on the worship team, you're out an extra weeknight rehearsing and get here really early and stay for both services. Okay, so if you look at this list and you'll be like, you say, no, 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 I, I just don't have time for any of it. You're not making yourself available to the Lord. He can't use you. And this is faith that you're exercising that God will use you in a special way through these ministries. Uh, but you might conclude, oh, there's this church is, you know, so many people, there's just no need. Well, you're right, we have 216 people working for Christ, and I praise God for that. Uh, but there's 77 opportunities that we still have for people to step up. And there is no such thing as a small, a small place to serve, right? When you're serving God the King, every little thing, I see every ministry as having a hand on the net that we cast out into the community, and then when we bring it in, and there's people being saved and changed forever, every ministry had a hand in that. So hey, if you're not on a ministry team or two, it's time to step up and make yourself available to the Lord. And Deborah is a great role model for how busy people can still carve out that time. Okay, faith cries out for help. There's a crisis. Faith serves God consistently, and now there's people who God is rallying to that crisis. Third, faith answers when God calls. Jot that down. Faith answers when God calls. Look at verse 6. Chapter 4, verse 6. It says, She sent and summoned uh, Barak Barak Barak. Barak Barak. How many of you grew up saying Barak? You grew up saying Barak. Okay, but then our president got elected and we were all like, oops, we've been saying the name wrong for the last 20 years. I don't know what I should, should I say Barak or should I say Barak? Maybe we should take a vote. How many of you vote Barak? Vote Barak? That was a trick though because we don't vote at harvest. So you're all disqualified, and we're going to go with Barack, which is newer and hip. Barack. <clears throat> See what I did there? I'm from Illinois, and I know how politics work. <laughs> she sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kedish, Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Go, gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali, the people of Zebulun. And I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops. And I will give him into your hand. This is amazing. Hold out your hand like this. I love it. God's done this before. He said it this way. Hold out your hand like this, straight out. And like he's given over a marble, he's like, I'm going to give them into your hand. That's kind of of picturesque, isn't it? You're just going to do that? I'm just going to... Give him into your hand. Wow, what a day for Barak. Like he gets in the Bible and he gets this amazing assignment. Go, I'll be with you. You'll win. Faith answers when God calls. But Barak wasn't too sure about this assignment. His parents searched the baby name book and picked Barak because it means lightning. That's a pretty tough name, isn't it? Lightning. 
What's your name mean? Lightning. Do you know what your name means? I know what my name means. My, Ryan, my name, it's Irish. It means little king. I like it. I'm going to stick with it. Barack's name, he'd be like, my name is Lightning. He had a tough name, but when he got a tough assignment in verse 8, Barack said to her, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. Okay. Now, last week Gideon was a cowardly hero, but Gideon did a lot of this. All right, God, you to make the, the fleece wet. Okay, now, you know, or make it dry. And then he did a lot of this, and then he went. This week, Barak didn't really do a lot of this. He just kind of did this. Are you going too? You're gonna, if you go, I'll go. If you don't go, I won't go. We're supposed to notice a few things here. First, we're supposed to notice that everything Deborah's involved in is praiseworthy and validated in Scripture. So, high-powered woman with an amazing influential job who is also uh, in a marriage and keeping her household together, and um, that's praiseworthy and that's validated, and we're supposed to notice that. What God can do through women, and it's astonishing. But we're also supposed to notice, by contrast, that Deborah is willing to go out in combat and Barak is like, I don't know, I'm a little uncertain about this and the men just aren't leading. We're supposed to see that as a problem. I'll go if you go. This is what not to do. So jot this down. Faith answers when God calls without fearful ultimatums. Without fearful ultimatums. There is no if. And conditional obedience leads to diminished opportunity and your life will be less impactful. Hey, did you hear that? Conditional obedience will lead to diminished opportunity and your life will be less impactful. There is a direct correlation between the faith God sees in you and the work God does through you. Is that, is that biblical? What do you In Jesus' hometown. He couldn't do a lot of miracles. Why? Because he was astonished at their lack of what? Faith. Jesus couldn't do many miracles. I wish I could. Got a whole list of things I would have done. Did them in other cities. But you lack faith. There's a direct correlation between the faith God sees in you and the work God will do through you. Now this cost Barack something. You see, maybe God was a little more severe with Barak this week than Gideon last week. Maybe it's because Gideon was doing a lot of this, and then he finally went. Barak didn't do anything. He was just doing some of this. Me and me and you, if you go, I'll go. And he didn't even look up. This cost him something. What did it cost him? Well, in verse 9, she, Deborah, said, I will surely go with you. She, <laughs> that's so good. She's just like, sure, I'll add that to my do list. One more thing. Going into combat. Nevertheless, The road on which you are going will not lead to your glory. There's a few ways to look at that, but it doesn't, it doesn't, it seems like it doesn't only mean the road on which you are going, meaning the job the Lord gave you. It seems like the road you are going on means the way you're going about this just cost you something. You see that? The way you're going about this just cost you something. You know, there are times in the scriptures where 
God makes a very special demand of one of his children. And there are moments where faith decides what happens from that point on. Zechariah in the New Testament, right? Angel appeared to him and said, you're going to have a kid. I know you've been waiting a long time. But he didn't believe. Gabriel from heaven came down and told him, and he's like, uh, how will I know this is true? Angel from heaven? What happened? Nine months, he couldn't talk. God's like, boom. You lack faith. You're not talking for nine months. There are moments when God makes a very special request of you. And if you balk, if you lack faith, if you waver, if you, it costs you something. And it cost Barak something here. So we have to learn the lesson that faith answers when God calls. We don't issue fearful ultimatums. Um, but we answer with courage the call demands. You can jot that down. With courage the call demands. I'll go if you go. Okay, okay, but this will not lead to your glory. And then God says this, For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. The Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Hey, be amazed, the Lord just predicted the future to Barak. You know the Lord can tell you your future? He said, all right, because of what just happened, because of the way you're going about this, you're not going to get the glory for the kill. I'm going to give it to a woman. He just told how Sisera's going to die in advance. You know God's foreknowledge can give us confidence when our future is shaky and we don't know what's coming and there's such uncertainty. And you know what? God's like, I got that covered. I see it. I control it. Based on God's foreknowledge, Barak should have had courage that the call demands. And he did get there, but it took some time. Then Deborah rose and went with Barak to Kedish in verse 10. And Barak called out to Zebulun and Naphtali to Kedish and 10,000 men went up at his heels, and Deborah went up with him. 10,000? That's amazing. He's got a big army. 10,000 people are all going out to fight. Now, Heber the Kenite had separated from the Kenites the descendants of Hobab. Oh, that's a fun thing. Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent as far away as the oak in Zayananim. Say that ten times fast. Zayananim, which is near Kedish. When Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Abinuim, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him from Herosheth, Hagoyim, to the river Kaishan. All right, this is a battle. It's on, and it's going to require courage. Sisera is the commander of the, this army in Canaan, and he wielded unstoppable military power. He had 900 chariots made of iron, which was an unbeatable force by 10,000 Israelites. Chariots were different than like, if you picture horses, you know, like a cavalry going out with, it's different than like heavy horse. Chariots wouldn't charge straight through the forces of the Israelites. What they do is they would, they would all swarm in together and the, the sound, every chariot would have two or three or four horses and, and the sound would be overwhelming and deafening. And then they'd get close and they'd start assaulting with arrows and javelins and maybe they'd come close with swords and axes, but then they retreat. And after they had done the damage, you can't catch up to them. So what it would do is it would wear out the army. Little by little, it would break them down. And then it would leave the other army just dead in the water. Uh, the thing is, chariots needed flat, dry, level ground. And God picked the place of the battle. And Mount Tabor, we've got a picture of that. This is Mount Tabor way off in the distance. 
So visualize 10,000 Israelites up there ready. and They've got whatever weapons they could you know, put together and uh, pitchforks and uh, farming tools. And they're up there and then they start marching down. And then this, this army shows up with all the cha- 900 chariots and the horn. And it's loud and they're all getting together. And there's a river close by and that's where the battle happens. And in verse 14, And Deborah said to Barak, Up! For this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. This is so cool. It's like, Deborah's the one giving the Braveheart speech here. Okay, she's the one getting up in front of the arm. Up! This is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Up! She's so tough. She's not afraid. Why? Why is she not afraid? Because it says, Does not the Lord go out before you? Hey, do you see what she sees? Listen, she's up on the top of that hill. She's looking down. She's not like, one, two, three, four. She doesn't see the chariots. She's not looking at Sisera. She's not looking at the 20 years of opposition. She sees the Lord out there. She sees the Lord charging out into battle. And she says, get up. The victory's here. The Lord's already down there. So she inspires the troops. So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. In chapter 5, we hear what happened. What happened was, as the chariots were approaching and the Israelites were making their way down, the Lord opened up the floodgates of heaven and caused it to rain. I mean, torrential downpour. The more rain than you've ever seen in your life coming down. And then lightning and thunder and and the, the ground was instantly soaked. And then the Kaishan River, it said, began to rise and that overflowed. So now these 900 chariots that were charging up as the Israelites were coming down, suddenly the terrain beneath them was wet. They couldn't maneuver. They couldn't get anywhere. And their strength became their death trap. They couldn't go anywhere. They had no hope. It says that the Lord went ahead and the Lord fought and the Lord gave them the victory. What happens next? It says in verse 16, and Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Herosheth Agoyim, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Listen, listen. Not a man was left. Every one of them died, just as God said. But Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael. Now, we've got a map here to show you how the battle went down. So the, the green triangle is Mount Tabor. That's in Israel. That's where the, the battle happened. Okay, now the blue line represents how far the Israelites chased them away all the way back to where they came from. The red line represents where, uh, where Barak finally met up with Sisera. So we're not sure if, you know, uh, there, were like, there was like an eight-mile run on Sisera's part from the Mount Tabor straight up, or if at some point along the way he circled back. But let's just say that he had a very, very long run ahead of him. And by the time he stopped, he was completely, utterly out of strength. Verse 17, But Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabe and king of Hazor and the house of Heber the Kenite. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me. Do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her in the tent. She covered him with a rug. And he said to her, So at this point he's like, Please, please give me a little water to drink. I'm thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. He said to her, Stand at the opening of the tent. 
If any man comes and asks you, is anyone here? Say no. But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. And she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. Oh! He picked the wrong tent to take a nap in. I don't know why jail was having a bad day. And I don't know what happened in the past to get her so furious toward him. But it didn't, didn't take long from the time when Sisera fell asleep to the time Jael took him out and nailed his head to the floor. Okay. And Sisera represents a man who had amassed all this glory in life as a military commander, oppressing God's people, by the way. And everything he had built in his life, all his glory, all his power, all his fame, all his strength was robbed of him by God because a lady killed him and she used camp tools to do it. And God called it in advance. He'll be killed by the hand of a woman. And Jael's not like this, she's not like Zena, warrior princess, you know, like she, she's just this common girl living and suddenly she's like, now I've got my chance. Been waiting for this for a long time. Death. Well, Barak finally catches up to find out what happened. It says in verse, in verse 22, well, verse 21, so he died. Verse 22, and behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him, said to him, come and I'll show you the man whom you're seeking. So he went into her tent and there lay Sisera dead with the tent peg in his temple. Hey, faith answers when God calls without fearful ultimatums, with courage the call demands. And I think Barak learned something when he walked into that tent. I think it's a lesson that we learn many times throughout our life. I think when Barak walked into that tent and he saw Sisera dead and he saw who God used to do it, I think what he learned was this. Barak, if I could do this through her, guess who else I could have done it through? If we answer when God calls without fearful ultimatums, with courage, the call demands, jot this down, God can do impossible things using you. God can do impossible things using you. If you cry out by faith and during the crisis you're available to God and you answer with courage when He calls, you will be used in ways you never dreamed possible. You could never predict Hey, do you have a story of a time in your past where if you told it, people would say, God did what through you? Do you have that story? Because God wants you to have a book filled with those stories. God wants you to have story after story after story of a crisis where he used you and you were available to him. And he did what through you? Jael had the story. Barak thankfully got the story. Deborah had the story. 
Are you making yourself available to the Lord? In small things first, faithful, consistent. And then at the big moments, will God be able to look to you and use you? I think at moments like this, we have a a chance, you and the Lord, in a moment of crisis, to make yourself available to Him. And then, in the moments that follow, you come back to the crisis and you remember that you've made yourself available to Him. But the crisis is important because that's what changes our perspective from here in. Let's go to the Lord in prayer right now and let's make ourselves available to Him for His use. Father in heaven, you've told us another story today that's so encouraging. We often feel like Barak. We often feel like life is so busy and we wonder if if we could even be used by you when we're tired, when we're busy, when we're... But if we make ourselves available to you and we work for you in little things, you will use us. You'll do astonishing things through us. Um, Lord, here and now, this moment, we declare that we are your servants and you have gifted us to serve you. Father, I just pray that you would help us to balance our lives in such a way that we are able to give to your kingdom of our time. Lord, our prayer is that you would help us as we do invest our time in your work. Help us to see the amazing, astonishing things you can do through that. And especially in your church, Lord, as the mission goes forward, help us to see that when we play our part, whether small or big, when lives get changed, we had a hand in that. Help us to know, Lord, that that you see that, you value that, and one day when you give us our, our report card, when you evaluate our service, Lord willing, we hope to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. We, Lord, we know you'll first say you were faithful small things, with few things. May our attitude toward those small things be as important to us as they are to you. And Lord, we do ask that you would do impossible things through us as a church as we mobilize and follow you. We pray this in Jesus' name.